You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Welcome to another edition of Item 13. I'm honored to have... Samantha in the guest chair with us, and we're going to talking about all things ice cream, <laughs> ice food in general, West African food, but also ice cream specifically. Um, Samantha was born and raised in Houston to Ghanaian immigrant parents, and growing up with a Ghanaian mother who proudly subscribed to traditional West African so- social norms, just meant that food was at the forefront of her life from very early on. Um, and since then, she sort of dabbled into a variety of different West African food ventures, including today Auntie's Ice Cream, which features ice cream flavors from around the continent. We'll be talking about the specific flavors and what all of that means later on in the show. Um, but welcome to the show, Samantha. I'm excited to, to dive into this, especially on a hot summer day in in the DC area here, it's hot and muggy. So ice cream feels like the right thing to be talking about today. Thank you, Yorm. So happy to um, be here and, and be part of the podcast. I love item 13. Um, so I just feel really honored to be a part of this. Also very hot and muggy here in Durham. So we're on, <laughs> we're on the same yeah. page. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's dive into your story. First, tell me about growing up in, in Houston. Like in my mind, Houston is, Nigeria Central, <laughs> like everybody, <laughs> to the point where, and I'm sure one of my really good friends who listens to this, who is Ghanaian, who recently moved to Houston, was like, oh my gosh, there's going to be so many Nigerians. <laughs> and so I um, wanted to get your perspective of your experience as a Ghanaian living in Nigeria Central. Yeah, um, you're right. I feel like I've read a statistic somewhere that like the most Nigerians outside of Lagos are in Houston, whether or not that's accurate, who knows, but Maybe. it's not right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. Um, and so it's funny that you say that because I have like a core group of friends um, from mostly middle school and high school mm. and all of them, there are five of us in total and I'm the only Ghanaian, they're all Nigerians. <laughs> See, case in point. <laughs> yeah, so you know, you know, you're not wrong. You are not wrong about that at all. But I, I mean, I love, love, loved growing up in Houston, um, specifically the county that I'm from, which is Fort Bend County, and at, mm-hmm. at some point was one of the most diverse, or was the most, I'm sorry, diverse um, county in the United States, and oh, so. Wow. 
Yeah, it was it was magical growing up there in a way that I didn't realize until I left. Um, I went from Houston to Atlanta for college, and I was immediately kind of smacked in the face by the difference in diversity. I wouldn't say the lack of diversity, but yeah, um, yeah there was a certain sort of um, integration that I experienced in Houston that I have yet to experience anywhere else um, since then. Yeah, um, I tell people this all the time, like my high school was 20% black, 20% white, <laughs> 20% Asian, 20 No way! Yeah, yeah, it was great. It really was was great. Um, and of course, you know, growing up with my Niger sisters, always, <laughs> just in general, like I got um, like a firsthand account of that specific culture, which mm-hmm. I probably would not have um, until much later in life. And so now that I feel like being African, Afro beats, all that stuff is is the, the new vibe, yeah. the wave. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this has been part of my life. I've, yeah. I've in some way, shape or form been integrated into that. So yeah. it was wonderful. For sure. And I think um, for me growing up, so I grew up, was born and raised in Ghana. Um, and it's very interesting that narrative of who and what Nigerians are um, oh, yeah. versus when I grew up and, you know, through my own personal experiences, um, have gotten to know a lot more Nigerians along the way. And, and I especially appreciate, you know, for better or for worse, I think that they just have a certain drive, you know, that would be nice to see sometimes because you know Ghanaians always the laid back people <laughs> from a yeah. type of thing and so I really like from a cultural perspective the way Nigerians approach um getting achieving you know the things that they want to do just being like very focused and getting things done so that I feel like I picked up a little bit from my Nigerian friends along the way so yeah I a lot, 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 lot of lot of love of Nigeria <laughs> yeah no I didn't grow up in Ghana but I did spend a little bit of time there I lived there um from when I was nine months old to almost five, I think about like four and a half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my first language was tree and mm-hmm. and I, I I held that with me throughout my schooling. But to your point about Nigerians, I think like while I appreciate um, their drive as well, I think that the thing that I love the most, right, um, mm-hmm. is also the thing that can be the most annoying, yeah. which is the <laughs> loudness and brashness of that. Like, <laughs> They're gonna let you know. No, yeah, right. And this is why we are better in a certain way. And I say better jokingly, but yeah, um, yeah. And I, I love that because otherwise, how would we know, right? Yes. How, how yes. would we how, be exposed to those beautiful aspects of their culture and and the pride that they have in being yeah. Nigerian? I, I wish I could see that across every country in, in the yeah. country. And I think, so. yeah, and I think to that point too, right? Part of why West African culture even is coming to the forefront of like global creative arts, if you will, is is in large part through Nigerian efforts, right? Whether it's through um, through music, through food, or what have you, I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of the push just being done. Yep. At least through from sheer my numbers. Anyway. Yeah, through <laughs> sheer numbers, right? So from 
from from films like you go to Netflix, although Netflix is doing a lot, a really good job of like including um, South African, East African options as well. But initially, I feel like there was a lot more Nollywood stuff. But anyway, we digress, which is what can happen sometimes. Um, so just really learning about your background, I thought it was really interesting, especially now that I have um, a daughter growing up, you know, in, in the States and thinking about how... Um, to make sure that she's aware of and proud of her culture. Um, just hearing your experiences about going to ethnic grocery stores with your mom while you were in Houston and, you know, leaning into that to be able to learn and cook different sets of Afghanian foods, maybe specifically. You want to talk a little bit about that, you know, what that experience was like and then how that sort of, that sort of piqued your interest in food in general down the road, whether it was when you went to college and afterwards. Yeah, well, I feel like I could talk about this for hours, but I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it <laughs> concise because there's just so many moving parts, right? Yeah. So I I don't know if like the desire for me to put in the forefront of people's minds that I'm Ghanaian was because I was raised for a little bit in Ghana mm. or if it was maybe the result of my environmental upbringing in a diverse place where people were happy to say um, like, hey, my family's Filipino or my family is mm. uh, Syrian or whatever. I don't know. But what I do know is that um, from an early age, I didn't I didn't shy away from telling people that I was, I was Ghanaian. I thought it was cool. I thought that, yeah. you know, it made me unique. And, and so these experiences that you bring up um, with, with my mom, it, it was just kind of like an extension of that. And so our routine was every Friday, my mom would pick me up from school. We would go to Fiesta, which um, don't add me is the best grocery store. <laughs> that I have been to um, outside of H-E-B. Texas has the best grocery stores. The end. Moving on. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, we would go to Fiesta, which was, um, I actually, I don't even want to lie to you and tell you that I know what Fiesta is, but I know they have a lot of ethnic um, mm-hmm. and global uh, um, quiz or, or um, items there. Like, yeah. I, I don't think there was prepared food, but definitely mm-hmm. like the spices and the produce and things mm-hmm. like that. And then um, we may likely, depending on what she was doing that week, go to the fish market, which I believe was oh. owned by Vietnamese people. And so I got exposure to that. And then um, also we would go to Makola in in Houston, there's like a store called Makala, which is yeah. you know, obviously a Ghanaian market. And so Makala would happen less often just because Houston is huge if you've never yeah. been. And this is a lot of driving, right? But we would <laughs> still we would still go in. And so for me, it was a ritual. And I didn't realize it until I left. It was just kind of like the thing that we did. But that ritual I think instilled in me um the importance of kind of embracing and leaning into your unique cultural practices and and traditions. And so after we did all of that, then my mom would start seasoning meat. And my dad was always, you know, shout out to 
to uh, patriarchy and gender norms <laughs> was always like, you need to stand here and watch her cook these things. And my mom would be like, go upstairs. I don't want to be bothered. Um, I don't want to have to stop and explain, but I picked it up. So I would see yeah. her season meat on Saturday, monthly on Sunday, she would make kinky. And so she would ferment the cornmeal yeah. on Friday, right? So all of that played a role in my upbringing. And like I said, I thought it was cool. I thought it was unique. And it was mm-hmm. something that I always wanted to not only share, but then it um, it sparked interest in me. Like, if this is what we're doing on Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday, what are y'all doing in your home? <laughs> Fili- you know, like, what are my Filipino friends? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So that was, wow. it, it was a beautiful experience. Yeah, that back. is that is really cool. And it's, it's like, I almost just got goosebumps here listening because it mirrored for me exactly what my experience was like growing up in Ghana with my mom. Oh, wow. And so I think about that and I'm like, how beautiful it is that your mom sort of replicated probably what she would have done in Ghana with you. Because I remember um, going to Makola. (laughs) and The real Makola. (laughs) Yeah, the real Makola (laughs) on weekends. And then doing that, that whole routine, right? Like going to, you know, we'll get the produce. We, We knew my mom had a specific palm oil lady that she went to and they would have huge basins of the palm oil and depending on whether you want it in a bottle or a gallon they would like do the whole process of negotiating and like when was this made from which town is the the palm tree coming from and blah 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 and then from there we would go to Kaneshi market specifically to the fish section and we would walk oh my gosh I remember as a kid it was just like I thought it was so gross like we would walk into the cold area of the market where all the fish was being cleaned and sorted and yep. it was like fish guts everywhere and scales because they're scaling the fish you know they clean the fish for you depending on how you want it and so we'll yep. do all of that and then we'll go home and essentially your process like my mom never made well we are um yeah, ever so we we didn't make like we wouldn't make kinky, but we would make we would go to the corn mill. Yes, we would buy corn, soak it for a day, then go to the corn mill, get it done, and then come back and make like cocoa and banku and all of those things. Yeah, so, my dad is actually the gown one. My mom is Ashanti. Um, oh, interesting. But she quickly learned marrying, <laughs> <laughs> marrying a gown man that there must be kinky. Apparently, um, yeah. And so yeah, he taught that's, her actually. From that's, my understanding. Yeah, that's inspiring. And I, I and like I said, it's especially now having a child, you know, in the States, it's it's like I you just made me think, okay, there's a way to create a routine around this for her that can mimic that experience later on. And I remember you saying there was a time that <laughs> that you took palma soup to school. Oh my god. <laughs> to share with a friend. And it, it's interesting to me because she like my daughter is now like she's not even two, but um I because she's her, her daycare setup is pretty flexible so I can I can do more with food types than because she essentially she's been taken care of by an Ethiopian family so there's more flexibility in the types of food I can send with her so I send sometimes I'll send red red and and what have you and I think oh my god like when she gets to this the stage where she has to go to you know a proper school or whatever <laughs> then I have to start making PBJ yeah. sandwiches and, and what have you. But for now, it works. Lunchables. So like, <laughs> right. So seeing your story about the pop nuts which you should share, I thought I, that made me laugh out loud because I'm like, oh, I'm sure I would be that person <laughs> sending my daughter to school with something yeah. like that. 
Yeah. So it was a formative experience. Funny that you said like sending my daughter to school. My mom did not send me to school. I had to sneak the palm nut soup. She didn't want me to, cause I was like, Hey mom, I'm going to say the girl's name, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Jennifer is what we'll call her. Jennifer um, wants to try palm nut soup. Growing up, my mom was always super, she's like a person that is like very, very careful in general anyway, and is, is a worry wart. But when it came to food, she was, um, really, really careful about what she gave to people because she'd be like, if you're not accustomed to our food, I don't want some kid getting sick. It's spicy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So she just is like, um, even though my dad is the one that's a lawyer and and I'm now a lawyer, you would think that the way my mother is always calculating (laughs) risk that she is the lawyer. But (laughs) so she was, um, very much opposed to me bringing the soup, but not because she thought I was going to get made fun of more. So she was like, I don't want this girl to get sick. So I did it anyway, because Uh she expressed, yeah, she expressed interest. My mom left work very early um because she worked like an hour away from our house so it was easy for me um and I was I was a latchkey kid also at at that point like I came home um by myself I left Mm -hmm. or they left before I went to school and so I had a a good amount of flexibility so I I I got the soup it specifically had goat meat in it and I think if I'm remembering correctly that the young the young lady wanted to try goat as well as the soup Mm. so long story short I'm excited right she made it (laughs) seem like you know this is gonna be cool I think it's cool um I had already been getting made fun of from be for being too gunny and I wore beads around my my wrist that my grandmother like strung and made yeah like it it was a whole thing I got made fun of and it was something that to this day I still don't understand I was like why are we making fun of people because of where they're from I don't get it anyway so I was excited that somebody seemed like they were gonna embrace it so I brought the soup to school for some reason I'm envisioning us doing this in the bathroom which is actually (laughs) disgusting and maybe you know my memory isn't serving me well but that's what I remember and I remember her just like abject disgust in looking at the soup she was like ew it's so oily this Mm. looks so gross why is it this color and um I was like, you know, really trying to convince her, really yeah. trying to make that happen, saying, hey, hey, no, 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 try it. It's good. It's like seasoned well and da, 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 da. And she tasted a little, a little bit and like spit it out and talked about how disgusting it was. And then like publicized it to people because no there weren't way. many of us in the bathroom. There were a few, maybe like four of us all together in our small little group. Um, but yeah, I remember getting made fun of even more mercilessly <laughs> because of that experience. But, you know, I'm grateful to young Jennifer. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, seriously, I think that like it later, much, much, much later in life, it illustrated to me, like, you know, when it gets tough or or I'm feeling lazy or whatever may be happening, that it's very important for me to continue to push through sharing my culture and African culture to the extent that I can be somewhat Mm -hmm. of an emissary to people because people have that reaction that Jennifer had, right? Generally, people are unfamiliar. They don't want to try it. Even when given the opportunity, if it doesn't look like something that they know or that they've they've seen, they have familiarity with, and they may react in that way. And um, that story is a reminder to me that I've been doing this in some way, shape or form 
from childhood, it's always been in me. And that to me means that this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. That, well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't know that you were the one that took the soup to school yourself, but wow. What, what, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's <laughs> that benefit of hindsight, right? Like looking at the, the dots that connect from so very early on in terms of what you're doing now, which we're about to dive into, but I think this is a good time to take a break. And when we come back from the break, we'll dive into the specifics of what you're doing now and then sort of other initiatives you've worked on that all together, I think, um, really crystallize, will crystallize for people like what seems to be your food mission in this world. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. I'm Chaba Peribán, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes, educates, and empowers. Thanks to HRN, I ventured into the world of cooking with sumac, and I have not looked back since. I was listening to A Taste of the Past with my mom, and there was an episode about the history of American food. It inspired me to make it the subject of my final social studies project, and I ended up getting an A. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate to become a member today. We thank you for your support. All right, so that's all really great. And I hope that provide, provided context for people in terms of like, what we're about to dive into now because you've done a lot and I want to remind people too that you're a corporate lawyer by day and so I'm just really impressed with what you've been able to do um, with your interest in food um so where do I want to start where do I want to start where do I want to start um let's talk about ice cream first and then we'll talk about the other things that are going on so you run now auntie's ice cream tell us about 
Aunties. Well, first of all, why ice cream and why do you call it aunties? Which I can I can almost guess why you call it aunties ice cream, but for the benefit of the audience. Well, actually, if you don't mind, I will definitely tell you why ice cream, but I'm curious as to why you think it's called aunties. Um, being a, a fellow Ghanaian, I wonder if it's for the reason that you, you think it is. Um, um, now, now I feel like maybe I know what it's going to be way off here. Why don't you tell us and then I'll tell you. Okay, okay. That sounds fun. That sounds fun. Um, so... Funny enough, I aunties, um, ice cream rather, I should say, not aunties, but ice cream is totally by happenstance. And and so what happened was, you know, let's all rewind back to March 2020. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not, right? Let's not ever. But, you know, we're all making things that we just have never made before. People were making sourdough. Oh, um, right. I hate sourdough. <laughs> so I was like, hey. I'm going to try to make things that um, I just had never made before. And so I'd never made ice cream before. What happened was I had been gifted an ice cream maker by a friend of oh. mine, maybe five years late, earlier. It was like a long time, <laughs> four or five years wow. before I ever busted out this ice cream maker. It wasn't even being kept in my house, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, my friend gave me this ice cream maker, but I'm not like super, super into ice cream. I love sweets, like absolutely love sweets. But ice cream, like if I had to pick one of the sweets that could go and ice cream was in the in the mix and it was like ice cream cake and cookies, it would be ice cream. Hand it down. <laughs> <laughs> don't even have to think about it and so with that being said I just you know I was not using that ice cream maker because during the the pandemic like we were all experimenting I made um a bourbon brown butter plantain bread and it's something that I had made oh my god it's really good Yorm if I come to DC or you make it back here I will have to share with you it's delicious oh my god that sounds amazing yeah so because I don't like bananas so I decided like oh I can just make plantain bread instead so I've been making this for some time and I made it again but this time the problem was I couldn't share it because we were in a pandemic Mm -hmm. and we didn't know in those beginning stages like what food um food exchange could look like and so I had to figure out a way not to waste it but not to like eat it all in one sitting so I was like oh let me break out that ice cream maker that my friend gave me I can just make this into an ice cream so I did that um I think that I did it was like either like a rum or bourbon based like vanilla ice cream and then like crumbled crumbled the brown butter um plantain bread in there delicious then about a month later or maybe two months later. Yeah, probably two months later, things were starting to open up a little bit. You could pick up ice cream from places <laughs> at this point. And there's a place in um, Durham that I love. She she actually has my favorite ice cream called Roses. And she had like, um, she has my favorite ice cream sandwiches, I should say. So mm-hmm. she had um, a strawberry buttermilk ice cream sandwich. And I had it delicious. And I thought to myself like, huh, but this would be so delicious with cardamom in it. And so then I went home and recreated it. Um, And again, it was delicious. And I liked it even more because it had that familiarity of of cardamom, which um, my partner is East African. Mm -hmm. And so I had become at that point pretty accustomed to like, you know, flavors and chai and and some of their prominent spices. And so in that moment, I realized, so you're not an ice cream maker, really. You've made two ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) And these two ice creams have been delicious, if I do say so myself. (laughs) And somehow they've incorporated um, 
Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Like plantain is very, very prominent in Africa. The way I spice, you know, Ghanaians love nutmeg. Yeah. Love <laughs> so it was heavily flavored with nutmeg and then the same with, you know, the strawberry cardamom flavor. And then I thought to myself, I've never seen this before. Now I'm very familiar um, with, and I don't know why right now her ice cream name is um, escaping me, but the young woman in New York who makes like the plantain based ice cream. Yes, Rachel with Killer Willie. Um, Killer Willie, love yes. it, love it. So I knew yes. that um, she was making plantain based ice cream, which is super cool, but I thought it was still a little different yeah. because, at least from my understanding, first of all, mine was not going to be vegan, right? Um, yeah. And then the second thing was, from my understanding, she wasn't necessarily seeking to only highlight right like um flavors across the continent so I was like this is not something that I've seen now of course I didn't know about Tappy Tappy then and mm-hmm. all the, the people that you <laughs> so I'm um, kind of highlighted through your your podcast but I hadn't seen it so I thought to myself why not like why isn't this a thing it should be a thing and so I told like three friends about it and they were like yeah that sounds cool why don't you try it out and I kid you not Yorm in like I don't know, probably like less than 10 minutes, I immediately came up with like eight flavors that I wanted to to try out. Yeah, I didn't even, and I'm not saying this to to boast or anything, but again, it's kind of this like leaning into what you know your purpose is. You need to call on your Nigerian (laughs) spirit to be like, (laughs) yes, I came up with this. This is (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do need to do that. More of that, yes. no, but yeah, it, it just came so organically to me that again, it was like kind of confirmation that this this thing is gonna, it's gonna be something important. It's gonna be something powerful and, and impactful. And so I came up with the flavors. Um, I tested them out, had small little focus groups. And out of those eight flavors, um, I think there might've been like one that I didn't try out or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then two that failed five of them were perfect on the first go. So again, another confirmation. And in creating those flavors, I realized that like, I need to represent each cardinal region of of the continent for people that are just not familiar. And so that's Mm -hmm. how I came up with Moroccan Mint Tea for the North, Dirty Chai for the East, uh, Salted Amarula for the South, and then Ghanaian Hot Chocolate, which is spicy um, um, for us, (laughs) right? For for the West African. (laughs) I had a... um, a pineapple ginger, you know, similar to the yeah. uh, in Ivory Coast is called Nyamakuji, if I'm not uh, mistaken, please, uh, people, Ivorian people, please don't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't chastise me, but I know that Senegalese people drink it, but the spicy ginger um, pineapple drink, and we also, of course, have that in Ghana, and all those mm-hmm. flavors were, were really good and, and came out well in terms of formulation the first time, and so that is how long-winded way of saying I got started with with aunties, um, with ice cream rather. And then the name came to me, um, I would say less organically, but still in alignment, which was that I, I had to think about what I wanted it to, to represent, right? And so for me, it was an African love language. That's mm. because food to me is, from my experience, how a lot of... Um, 
I'll specifically say, no, I think I can say Africans because I've, I've interacted with a, quite a few Africans from different continents, but yeah. food is a way our, a lot of our elders um, love. It's the way that they express love. And so when I came up with that tagline and realized like that's the mission that I want to kind of push forward or the message rather, not the mission, then I thought about who were the carriers of that love language. Mm. And, it, and for us, it's aunties. So. Yeah, I think so. I guess my my guess would probably close to that. I just thought about the idea of community and 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 family, right? That we mm-hmm. get in our culture, we get to call pretty much anyone that's older, auntie or uncle, which just is. So you know, when I say, I remember very early on when I moved here, and I would say, "Oh, that's my auntie." Like people would be like, "Oh, for on which side order?" It's just like, yes. "That's my auntie." <laughs> Um, and so I just thought like this is one way of connecting the dots in terms of thinking about our culture as um, one big family, if you will, connecting uh, through food and that ice cream is just such a comfort food thing. And yeah, that's sort of my, it's kind of, yeah. sort of related. But, no, it's, but, but it's <laughs> an extension of that too, yeah. though, because when people even say like, well, why ice cream originally, like I said, it was by happenstance, but then I realized that I've always been aligned with the mission of sharing African mm-hmm. food <laughs> and, and um, flavors and ingredients to my detriment sometimes as evidence <laughs> by the palm nut, uh, palm nut soup story. But the, the medium of ice cream, the vessel of ice cream mm-hmm. is one that most people love, even as for me, someone who's not like obsessed with ice cream, but I like it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's comforting, right? Everywhere you go, you're fine trying some ice cream. Like you're, you're happy to try that as like a sweet treat. And so if I want to push this mission forward, because it's so important to me that people learn to, to not just embrace the flavors and the ingredients, but the stories behind them, the the culture behind it, the traditions, the rituals, um, and the importance of that, the storytelling, then ice cream is a great way to do that because at least people will be more willing potentially, right, to try that than they would a Benquai. I don't know, soup, right? Benquai, yes. <laughs> a Benquai, a Benquai. <laughs> which, is, which is palm nut soup for those who are wondering um, why we are uh, excited about connecting on that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting to me because, yes, like you mentioned, I spoke to um, Tapiwa who, who runs Tapi Tapi, um, an ice cream shop in, oh, you're going to be in South Africa soon. Uh, so that yes, might be something you try. He's, try it out, he, yeah. he's based in, in Cape Town. Um, and it was interesting because he, and I don't know if you heard his story, but for him. I sure did. <laughs> for him, ice cream was just his vessel for talking about the idea of African liberation, uh, mm-hmm. stirring up conversations about our culture, our history, our identity that we are not, you know, the face of Africa generally is, you know, a hungry child, like there is no luxury, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for him, ice cream was like the conversation starter, like, Ooh, you know, I'm putting, and he, he, he would tell you like rooibos tea and, you know, yeah. what have you. And His these, flavor combinations are wild. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I've seen okra, for <laughs> like, example, all, all yeah. up in there, right? And for him, it's about yeah. really thinking about, and he said he's even included ingredients that were like, you know, 
indigenous to Africa that people didn't even know indigenous. Yeah, I heard him say right. that. Like people and, that were there weren't familiar with it. Yeah. Right. And so for him, like that's while ice cream may not be, well, ice cream in the form that he's serving it up may not be traditionally African. It's that, and I know you mentioned a little bit, um, I guess, that conflict or just juxtaposition of this is the this you know this vessel that I'm trying to get to, to have people you know check out African flavors get then get introduced to our culture storytelling what have you versus using um, the actual foods right so for mm-hmm. for for tapua for example he has stuff with like sogum and millet and like we're talking yep. okra and what have you. Um, he palayed that, and maybe we can then also talk about the other things that you, he palayed that into a dining series separate from ice cream. But for him, that was the way to bring people in and start the conversation. So I wanted to get your perspective on like your thoughts on using ice cream as the medium yeah. to generate conversation, spark curiosity, etc. Yeah. So for me, it's a double-edged sword um, in that I'm so grateful um, and and feel so humbled by the the support that I've gotten thus far mm-hmm. as someone who is not even making ice cream that frequently. When yeah. I do, I've gotten nothing but but um, interest and 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 curiosity and support and love. I'm grateful for that. Um, and I, I personally think the ice cream is delicious, so <laughs> I love to be, yes, <laughs> I love to be able to to share that. But then on the other end, a little piece of me is like, but why do I have to share it through yeah. ice cream, something that people are familiar with? Why can't I just bring you goat abenquine and then that be okay? <laughs> and then and that be okay? And I, I think that there are just so many. Um, <sighs> oppressive systems and structures embedded in our society that not to say that it can't be done, Mm -hmm. but it would, it would be probably a much heavier lift Mm -hmm. to make that incremental change um, or impact rather than, than ice cream. And, and so I guess like the way that I um, can be okay with it at times is, is to tell myself, well, at least, at least you're, um, you're sharing yeah. and amplifying something, right? Yes. And and if one more person is is familiar now with, uh, I don't know, like penja, which is uh, Cameroonian <laughs> white pepper or um, uh, a fig flavored brandy from from Morocco, then okay, I think like, keep going. I need, I need to make a road trip to Durham like that <laughs> because. <laughs> Between you and Ade and, and her food truck coming up, I'm like, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which good. the ice cream may be on the food truck. We're trying to figure Ooh. it out now. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool stuff. I like the synergies, the collaboration, all that good yeah. stuff going on. Um, cool. And so I wanted to, before we wrap up, just touch on, and you can say if you sunsetted them or not, but I thought um, it would be interesting for folks to hear like other things that you've been involved in around food. So first, um cornbread and consumery which I love the name and maybe I, I can also kind of guess why cornbread and consumery but yeah you can let people know um, actually maybe this time because I'm pretty much more confident <laughs> that I understand this better I can share um so cornbread and consumery um from my understanding is a is or was you can let us know um 
a food, I guess, maybe catering and events company offering a variety of services, cornbread because of your southern roots, Houston. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled with a K and then contumere for our Ghanaian friends or not on the line is <laughs> a... Um, I, you know, I almost said it's a spinach base. No, it's not spinach. <laughs> I used to say that too, because that's what we had to use here. Literally, it's, it's cassava, my, it was on the yeah? tip of my tongue. Yes, cassava leaves. Yeah. Um, it's a cassava leaf tea typically made with um, red palm oil and igushi, which is uh, melon seeds, ground melon seeds. Um, smoked, depending on which part of the country you live in, smoked fish and, and other good stuff. So that's yeah. cornbread and kundube. <laughs> you got it. I didn't even say anything. That's exactly why I came up with the name. Um, and I will say, funny enough, cornbread and kundube started before aunties did. That was the mm-hmm. first kind of um, uh, entree I had into like the food space. Mm-hmm. And I came up with it um uh, when I was younger and um, wanted to kind of fuse the two big portions of my identity um, together and, and share those things. And so it has been sunset. <laughs> you, you are um, right about that. And and the reason isn't anything other than, you know, I'm only one human being. Right, I can't yeah. do everything while maintaining um, that full-time job that, yeah. that I have that can be super demanding. And so catering or cooking in, in large quantities, a variety of different things is hard work. Um, from the menu planning mm-hmm. to the prep to just like the literal work and yeah. toil on your body. And so while I, I loved it, I loved the result of it. I just knew that it wasn't something that I could, I could um, maintain and, and continue. Yeah. Trust so, me, I, I respect and can appreciate that because I also have a full-time job and um, for those who've been following for a long time like I have outside of the podcast I was running it's still um, like I would say it's low-key right now um, Essence 13 which is like my food media platform mm-hmm. and we were doing actively doing events collaborating with chefs and whatnot and um, between having a kid in the last <laughs> 15 years 15 months and um COVID happening it's just been a lot and then also yeah. just tr- trying to juggle my full-time job with all of that too so I completely relate and I think it's not I think it's a good sign when you realize like what you're capable of and wanting to be able to give the best to it you know and for me right now it's just the podcast and um we'll see what happens down the road with with other things <laughs> but yeah um, which is a lot I mean you're amplifying you know us and, and <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing to yeah. be a part of and to witness so yeah. yes um and then this may also be sunset it was still you know in progress but I love the idea of it and um just wanted you at least to touch a little bit on on, on it so it's called it's the Kayayo Collective which you can share what Kayayo means for those that may not know, but it's um, it sounded to me like it's just it was a um, a collective, right? A culinary collective, if you will, of African female. I, I don't want to say chefs because then people start to get culinary professionals. Um, just providing a space for them to empower each other, share their stories. Um, all that good stuff. And so I don't know if that's still something that's 
happening or just again because of um schedules and whatnot yeah yeah so that one I think is more so I would say on pause (laughs) versus yeah having completely been sunset and so you described it um perfectly Kayao Collective is um is a, a company and the founders of myself um, and my friend Ade, who is um, a culinary professional cook <laughs> from Benin and um, has her own own um, catering company and other a bunch of other food things that she's mm-hmm. doing um, called Dunu Cuisine. And, and so it's a, it's a collective that we decided to kind of create to bridge cultural gaps by providing um, authentic African dining experiences. And so using that to like, similar to aunties and, and to I'm sure a lot of the people that um, that are guests on this podcast and just trying to share our land's culture and the customs and the traditions. And, and we chose, you know, like dinner parties as a way to do it. Uh, but really for us wanted to share the stories the untold stories of women across the continent specifically. So trying to center our dining experiences on that. Um, And so, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful thing when we were able to do it, but we started like pretty close to like the beginning of COVID. And so it kind of had to (laughs) take a little bit. Yeah. Put put the brakes on a lot of things. And so, um, yeah, but I thought like, I remember just looking it up and thinking, wow, like what an amazing idea. And um, hopefully as as time moves on and we all sort of recalibrate, um, that's something that you can potentially go back to. So, yeah. Um, cool. Well, we're running out of time. I want to make sure I get to my rapid fire questions for you. Um, so, but before we do that, uh, can you let people know where they can find you online? So social media, yeah. website, all that good stuff. Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah, you can find me in the streets of Durham, probably not in my house in Durham. <laughs> is, is where I'm based, but um, uh, we have a website for aunties. It is www.auntiesafricanicecream.com. And that kind of, you know, tells a little bit about our story and then just like list our ice cream flavors and sign up for our, our newsletter there where we will um, kind of keep the community abreast of what we have going on. Um, in terms of like events and stuff like that, I'm trying to, uh, before this year, I was doing um pop-ups at the Black mm-hmm. Farmers Market in Durham uh, twice a month. But this this year, I, I decided to kind of pivot uh, because I'm getting married and Yay. a lot of stuff going on with work. And I'm like, I can't do all of this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so as a result, um, I'm just doing monthly pop-ups now. So okay. our next one will be on, on the 30th of July at a local, also African-owned bookstore in East Durham um, called Rafiwa. So that's that's where you can oh, find nice. us this month. Yeah, they are South African. So oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, our IG is Auntie, without the S, um, but Auntie Ice Cream. Cool. And, and again, I will put them in the show notes, link them in the social media post that goes out so people can directly click and engage and all that good stuff. Um, cool. So our last section here is the rapid fire questions. Just don't think too much about it. First, come see your mind. And then we'll go from there. So first one that's going to be, let me see what, how many do I want to ask you? Five questions. So very okay. quick, five questions. Um, first one, 
one ing- ingredient you can't live without? Oh, smoked paprika. Oh, that was quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> your favorite season. And the only reason this question came to me, to be honest, was because today, like, oh, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show. It's like, I'm like, hmm, do I really like summer? <laughs> but anyway, what's this your is such favorite season? a hard question because I can find a problem with every season, but I guess... <laughs> Fall, I yeah. mean, I, mean, I like that weather, yeah. But I and I would have said spring, but the problem is allergies, so that's why mm. I said fall, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've settled in fall too, and I'm like, ah. anyway. Uh, but if you had asked me that when I first moved here, however many years ago, I'd have undeniably said summer for sure. Now, yeah, I'm definitely whatever the choice. seasons in Ghana are, those are my favorite seasons, <laughs> right? <laughs> like rainy season, <laughs> weather, dry season. Um. Next question. Who would you rather meet? Your ancestors or your future descendants? Oh, ancestors. Oh, interesting. But I'm not supposed to ask for questions in a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can talk about it offline, don't worry. Yes. Um, interesting. And then would you rather lose your sense of smell or taste? Oh, I'm going to say smell, but I would like to dig into this because I just want you to know that early on in the pandemic, I had COVID, like, I'm talking like February, no, the end of January, 2020, and I lost my sense of smell and taste. And I really was like, Lord, just take me now because I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what is this life that I'm living? And um, my smell has not 100% been restored Mm. and I'm still making it. So that's why I can say. Interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're better now. (laughs) (laughs) None of them sound like fun. And last last question, this may sound like choosing your favorite child, but what's your favorite ice cream flavor you've made ever? (laughs) Um, I think... It, see how I'm talking slowly because I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> I think, oh my God, you want Oh, okay, okay. Um, I made like a blueberry sobolo, which is coming oh. out in the next um, few weeks. So, yep. Oh my God, okay. Like, you're slowly convincing me I need to make it to Paris. <laughs> that sounds so good. Ooh, yeah. su- very summery. Yeah, it's it's really good. But I think that one, just because I'm not like a huge fan of blueberries or anything Mm -hmm. like that, I actually prefer like strawberries, but I think that the complexity of the flavor and I love Sobolo, but adding the the blueberry to it really, um, you know, just created a a flavor combination that I wasn't familiar with and I really liked. So That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Samantha. Like this was such a fun conversation for me. Good way to get into the weekend. I appreciate the feeling you is mutual. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing your time, um, your creative spirit. I appreciate you owning in a Nigerian way the contribution <laughs> you made so far to the food, the African food ecosystem here in the US. And look forward to all the things that you will continue to do. And congratulations on getting married soon too. Thank you so much, Yoram. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love you. you. I love the podcast. Thank you for always amplifying our stories. It's very important. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. (laughs) I 
10 15 is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>